I don't know if you could uh, relate to the video we just watched and how uh, that dude clearly needed a second chance. He, he was talking about how when he walked in there, people treated him like nowhere else he'd ever been before, right? The only thing I take issue with, he said, there's no other place like this. No, that's 20 years of ministry there. But there are places that are kind of like it because I've seen him myself where you're greeted with a kindness and not a rejection. You're greeted with hope and not judgment. Um, have you ever wanted to change in your life? Like, have you ever needed to change? Here's another. Have you ever tried to change? I remember one time I was meeting with a friend of mine, and, and we were wrestling with some deep, hard issues together. And, and we, we talked, and we prayed, and we planned, and we thought. And after a long time, I've started to get frustrated because as someone who wasn't the one trying to change, I thought, how hard is this? Just change. You know the answers. We've discussed this for years. Just change. And I went to God in my frustration, and I prayed to God, and I said, God, this is crazy. This isn't so obvious. We've done this stuff. Lord, uh, help them to change. And as much as I get responses, the Lord said, uh, you change. You want them to change so badly, why don't you change something in your life? You make a decision and see what you can do. And I said, fine, I will. And I set about to make a change. And I couldn't change nothing. And I was so frustrated with myself that I had to go back to my friend and I had to apologize and say, I am sorry. I was being impatient with you. We need God to help us change. And I began to pray in that moment, in that time, Lord, help me to change. The things I wanted to change, I really did want to change. Paul says something about this when he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't do, I keep on doing. But praise be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ, because he gives us the chance to change. Today, I want to uh, demonstrate something of God's patience. And if there's nothing else today, maybe, if you are there in your own life or if you are loving someone who's there in their life, that I would encourage you to learn, some, to learn from the Lord patience with me and love. How God is patient and loving to us and gives us a second chance to change. We're going to use three examples from the life of Jonah, right, the Old Testament prophet. And you probably know Jonah's story, but we're going to talk through a few pieces of his life today. And then we're going to talk about three places that we can change where you might not expect change to come in your life. And then we're going to, we're going to end with Jesus' perspective on what it actually takes to change. So before we get into God's word, join me as we offer a word of prayer and asking for wisdom from our Lord. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much for this day, a chance to rise and worship you again. We are in the season of Easter, resurrection power, your Holy Spirit's enabling with your people. I pray that we would continue to walk after you, continue to pursue you as you teach us the things that we need to know. No matter where we are in our journey, we need to grow. Would you help us to do that, to discern your leading in our lives? Lord, today as we open your word, we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit's understanding and the power of interpretation and rightly applying it to our lives. We cannot do this alone. I confess that freely. There's no wisdom to be had apart from you, and therefore you are our wisdom giver. Would you grant it in your grace? Would you teach us from your word? Would you teach us in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name, the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. So I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and turn to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter one. 
Jonah chapter 1, this is the beginning of a story, of course, and uh, we're going to cover fir first four verses. On the bottom of your engagement sheet, if you got one, it says Jonah 1, 2, 3, 4. We're actually going to cover chapters 1, 2, 3, 4. That's all of them. We're going to cover all of it. We're going to cover verses 1 through 4 in each of those books. So just four chapters from, or, well, nine on the second chapter, but anyway, you know, four, four verses from four chapters of the story of Jonah to get a gist and to look at how God is patient and loving to Jonah. So check it out. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. And after paying his fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm came up that the ship threatened to be destroyed. <clears throat> and so here's the funny thing about Jonah. And by the way, if, you know, I can't, this book is super easy to read. Uh, you can listen to it on repeat. You know, like it's uh, like probably 45 minutes long, the whole book, if that. Um, I can't encourage you enough to read it in totality. There's so much in there. But one of the things that doesn't serve it well is we think, we think the story of Jonah is about a whale or a fish. But it's called Jonah, <laughs> and the fish's name isn't Jonah. <laughs> it's about this prophet of God who has a command of God. And, and, and before you check out and go, well, I'm not a prophet of God, and God's not commanding me to do anything, like, I wonder, have you ever been disobedient? Have you ever disobeyed a direct order? You see, the funny thing about Jonah here is he is a prophet, and we have to understand that in the framework of this conversation. That means he has a word from the Lord, Yahweh, to God's people. It means that he has some status in his community. He has some experience doing this, and he's done it before. You don't call someone a prophet who's never prophesied. They're a prophet of God. And so Jonah, the prophet of God, gets a word from the Lord, and what does it say? To go and to preach against the city of Nineveh. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't always want to go uh, where someone is not going to like me, right? And I don't want to go say hard things if someone doesn't like me. And it sounds like that's what Jonah's call is. I think it's funny that the word says, go preach against it. <laughs> not for it, not with it, but against it. This is going to be bad for you. And so we have to understand kind of a bit of Jonah's uh, history to understand that why this disobedience was so radical and how committed he was to not obeying God. He was fully committed to not obey. How, how, why would I say that? It says, and I love this, he tells go, go and preach against it because the wickedness came up. In verse 3, but Jonah ran away. <laughs> He beat tracks the opposite direction. God's like, God, talking to Jonah, Jonah, you're my man. Jonah, you're a prophet. I'm going to tell you to do something. Go over there. And Jonah goes, got it. And he just goes, this way. And, and to show you how committed he was, he bought a ticket to go the opposite direction. Like, that's not a small thing. He invested in a plan to disobey God. See, Jonah wasn't like an accidental, well, I didn't hear you. He didn't kind of walk and he didn't kick rocks and wait a minute. He fled from God's command, and he bought a ticket to get on a boat to leave God behind. You see, many people have that experience in their life. They grow up in church. 
they've been hurt or harmed or something doesn't make sense. Maybe they went to church with their family and, and on, on Sundays the family was one way and then through the week it was a different family, you know? There's always that old joke about, you know, screaming at your kids in the parking lot and everybody puts on a nice face because we're at church now. We'll talk about this later. You talk to your teeth to your kids. We'll talk about it later, which means it's not going to talk about it later, right? Because, but, but Jonah's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going the other way. And why would I mention that? Because there are tons of people who've had bad experiences, harmful experiences, and they've rejected then God because of a circumstance. I'm going to go the other way. And not casually, I'm going to commit to this lifestyle. I'm going to change my behavior. And they begin to flee from God. As a matter of fact, if, if you'll go with me for a minute, I think many people, the chaos of our lives is in one thing alone. They're running from God. They're running from God. And the people that I interact with, they go, you don't know my life. You don't know my history. But I know God. And I know how deep these things can go. They've bought that ticket. They're fleeing from God. They're going the opposite direction just to prove a point. Have you ever been disobedient to God? Have you? I know I have. I know I have. God's like, go over here. I'm like, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do this other thing. I'm going to quit this other way of life. And what's the lie I tell myself? It'll be fine. Jonah, when he leaves for Tarshish, he's like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> this is an option for me. I'm going to go over there, and then that's going to be that, and then we'll be good. Me and the Lord will be good when I'm fleeing, when I run away, when I disobey. It's going to work out just great. The, then what? God sends the storm. Do you see it in the text? God sends the storm. It doesn't say the storm happens to happen. It doesn't say, like, accidentally Jonah steered into the storm. The, the captain didn't see the storm, right? It says that God provided the storm in Jonah's life. Jonah's like, I'm out. God's like, you ain't out. I'm out. I'm leaving. I've had enough. He's like, you ain't even started. You know some of the story of Jonah on the boat, but I want to point out one final thing in the text here. It says the storm got so severe that it threatened to destroy the ship. I wonder, could God destroy that ship? Yeah. Could he just go, boom, sink, Bermuda Triangle, bloop, <laughs> never heard from again. The whole cast and crew, everybody down, right, um, down to the bottom of the sea. What's that song all singers sing? Why? Because he's trying to get Jonah's attention. He ain't looking to destroy nobody. It says he caused a storm and that threatened the ship. Just threatened it. He just shook it a little bit. Pay attention. Well, you know the deal then. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 here. This is where Jonah ends up. And this is where you might, this is that, that first place that you might be surprised that you find an opportunity to change from God. And it's in the pit. Chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I call upon the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I have been banished from your sight. 
Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threaten me. The deep surround me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. But the, and the earth be beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Yahweh, my God. When my life was ebbing from me, I remembered you, Yahweh, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have, what I have vowed I will make good because salvation comes from the Lord. This is now the second time that God gives Jonah a chance, and it's from the depth of the pit. So he gives him a chance to obey the first time. He disobeys, gets on the ship, goes away, causes a storm, gets thrown overboard. You know the story, ends up in the fish, right? But from inside the fish, the word says, Jonah prayed. It's a weird thing, right, to think, you know, I don't want hardship in my life. I want it to be easy sailing. I want it to be good sunny days. I want it to be wonderful and everything's blessed and everything goes super good, right? But the truth is that oftentimes the way that God gets our attention the most directly is when we're suffering or facing hardship. The times that drive you to your knees, the times that you are out of yourself, you can, you, listen to me, you are not in control anymore, and all the things you thought were promised to you aren't promised to you, and you find yourself on the verge of death. Jonah, in the pit, as he describes it, in the bottom of the sea. From inside the fish, he prayed. He, he cried out to God. And he says this, in my, here it is, distress... That's my anxiety, my fear, my terror. I call upon Yahweh, and he answered me. Look at that past tense, interesting. From the depths of the grave, I cried out for help, and you, now addressed to God, listened to my cry. But look at here. See, we might go, well, that was just, you know, bad things happened to Jonah because he's disobedient. You know, he deserved it. You get what you get, Jonah, tough, right? But the truth is that God is active in our suffering. Listen, God is active on our hard days. You know, one of the problems we have in spiritual warfare is we think that God ain't in charge of all of it. We go, and I know this is going to be a lot for some of you, because, but this is something I've been wrestling for a while, that where is God when I'm suffering is answer, well, God's right there when you're suffering. He's not absent that day when life got hard. He, he didn't know that story wasn't going to unfold that way. And I know it's like, well, you don't, Bill, you don't know the days I've had. I don't. I don't. But God is the author of our days. Where am I getting this from? Jonah, in his prayer from the pit, says, you, verse 3, hurled me into the deep. You threw me into the heart of of the seas. The currents swirled above me, and your waves and breakers, what's the word say? Your waves and breakers swept over me. I remember there was two times in my life I thought I was going to drown. Have you ever thought you were going to drown? Yeah, I've had that experience twice. I'll tell you, both times. One time I was on a beach, and there was a really cool break thing, and I thought, I'm going to do that surfer cool move where you run out there and you just run into the beach. 
and go down under the waves, but I had a perspective problem that I thought these were like those little cute six-foot waves that we see in Florida, and they weren't. They were like some kind of 20-foot crazy optical illusion waves that when you go down the beach because the sand's so washed out, they, you, you, you get down there and you realize, oh, I've made a bad decision. I kid you not. And, and I turned and tried, so I, this is, and it's going to hurt. And when that wave crashed on me, bam, it wasn't like some, you know, you ever hate those ones? No, this was like, oh, I, ha I have made an error in judgment, and I am not going to get out of this. And that wave broke, boom, and you're like, <gasps> boom, and you're looking up, and people on the beach are just laying there in the sun. They're clueless, and I'm out there about to drown. I kid you not, and I'm trying, and when I finally get up, I get away from the water and it starts to break behind me, then I'm spitting, and I'm coughing, and I'm trying that cool. <laughs> Come up, Chris, how was that? Refreshing. <laughs> That's a true story. I thought, I, I, I'm going to die. You see, it's kind of funny because Jonah's in a fish and all this and stuff. And, you know, we know it's like we can moralize the tale, but he is drowning in his life. I tell you, the other time I thought I was going to drown, we were out in a boating trip with my family, my dad and his friends, and uh, we were all around the pontoon. Everybody's on floats, you know, a few people are drinking. I'm a kid, and I think, this is boring. So I decided to splash my dad. <laughs> He's like, Billy, don't, don't splash me. I was like, okay. <laughs> don't, don't splash me. What do you do? It, like, you splash him. You splash him. And he acted cool about it. I'm like, oh, he don't care. He ain't complaining no more. This is kind of getting boring for me. And I kind of turned my back for a minute, and all of a sudden, <laughs> and he was holding me under the river. And, and I kid you not, he had his beer in his hand and my head in that one. And he's just like floating there. And I'm like, okay, this is funny. I stopped fighting. This is funny. And then I go, he's trying to kill me. I'm his only son, and he's trying to kill me in the river. He's lost his mind. Does he know I'm a child? Although I got from this, like, you know, guy to like this, I'm not going to make it. I start, you know, I'm like, I, I, I was just freaking out, and I didn't know. And all of a sudden, and I say, right, but. All of a sudden, he, and I go, and he looks at me, and he goes, don't ever do it again. You know I never did it again? <laughs> I never splashed that again. I never splashed him again. Because he starts saying, hey, don't do that. I mean, he's serious. He's serious. Was he trying to kill me? I don't think so. Could he have made an error in judgment? Probably. <laughs> Probably. But I learned a lesson. Jonah is overwhelmed with his error. He's at the bottom of his pit. And I want to say something today, that if you or someone you know is at the bottom of the pit, don't think God isn't working there. That's my problem. We go, well, God's killed them, God's judged them, God's put them down there. No, no. God is loving them in this season of life. He is there with them, and, and indeed, he's in charge of these things. Jonah says, you hurled me into the pit. Your waves broke over me. He goes on to say this then. I sank deep to the root of the mountain, to the earth beneath me, and was barred there forever. And then, love this, 
but you brought my life up from the pit, Jonah says. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was ebbing away, and you get the kind of water reference there, right? I remembered you, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that would be theirs. But I, and this is crazy, with a, a song of thanksgiving, you know what I wonder often in life is when we're done with a season of hardship, can we say, God, thank you for that? Do we recognize that we get things in those seasons that we would get in no other way? And, and if, if nothing else, an absolute dependence on God and what God is doing. And then this is interesting. He says, with a song of thanksgiving, not just like thanks, but I'm going to sing about my thanks. I'm going to sacrifice to you, God. And what I have promised, I will make good. What's Jonah's promise to God? To be a prophet? To be obedient? You know? I, I don't think this is a flippant pot promise like he's like, I'll never do it again. He's like, I'm going to do what I said I would do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you in this way. And he says, I make a promise. Why? Because salvation comes from Yahweh, the Lord. That's his confession. Salvation comes from God. So that's the second time that Jonah has given God a second, or jo jo God has given Jonah a second chance. Now let's look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> Here it is, explicitly. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You see there? He's back on mission. He's back on dry ground. And he has the opportunity to obey again. He's right back where he started in so many ways. But this time, he can be obedient. He can choose to obey God. The word comes a second time. Verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you to proclaim. Look at verse 3. I love these simple little quirky things, like a little quippy things in the scriptures. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Jonah obeyed. If there's like one thing that we can take from all this, it's that in the end, Jonah was obedient. No matter what season of suffering had come, no matter what hardship he had faced, he was obedient to God. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city, and a visit there required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That sounds like he's preaching against Nineveh. 40 days, and it's going to be over. By the way, don't miss the, the couple of tie-ins here. It says the city is so big, it requires three days to visit. Jonah was three days in the fish. And so there's all these kind of like re recurring, you're going to spend as much time in the city being obedient to me as you spent in the suffering. Matter of fact, can I share something with you? That many people who cry out to God from the pit, and then God rescues them from the pit, and they recognize him, and they say things like this guy said this morning, which is, I promise to follow God, and he is going to be number one in my life. They begin to be um, influencers of others, Right? It, I call this the wounded healer theory. The things that are most afflicted you are the things that you're most empowered to, uh, to help others with. That dude can talk about prison in ways that I can't talk about prison. That guy can say things about hard days that I can't say about hard things, but I can say other things that maybe other people can't say because of my own experiences, my own hardships. The things that we struggle with the most, listen to me, can become... The, a, a resource 
for others in the gospel of Jesus. That's what I'm trying to say. To say, don't lose hope. I've been there. And now I'm here. Jonah goes in for three days. As many as he was in the holding, he's now in the city. And he's proclaiming the message to the city. Forty days and Nineveh, Nineveh will be destroyed. What's Nineveh? We'll talk practically for a minute about Jonah's experience here. City about 120,000, right? If you think about 120,000, like how many people to 120,000? Well, Highland has 10-ish thousand people. That's pretty small. Um, bigger than Highland. Uh, St. Louis has um, uh, 360,000 ish. So, I don't know what's happening. Is that me? Okay. So, uh, that's like a third, uh, three times bigger. So, St. Louis is three times bigger. Um, Edwardsville is about a third as small. How many people live in it? No, no. See, I couldn't find one that was 300, there was 120,000. Yeah, so that's half the size. That's like, like a third the size. So imagine, if you will, that you have to go tell everyone in Edwardsville. That's only a third of size. It's three times bigger than Edwardsville. You, single-handedly, you're going to tell everyone in Edwardsville, 40 days, and this place is going to be destroyed. I just wanted us to get a scale and scope of the mission that Jonah was on. Right? From the pit to the city, proclaim 40 days you have, 40 days. So Jonah does it, though. I just think it's easy for us to be flippant about the story of Jonah, but this is no small endeavor he's on. Go tell one-third of St. Louis, the city of St. Louis, that they're going to be destroyed. Or go tell three, uh, a city three times bigger than Edwardsville they're going to be destroyed. Can you imagine one person being tasked to tell that many people that God is judging them for their sin? for their disobedience? Can you imagine being the guy that's saying that, or the girl, when you yourself have been disobedient? And now you go to the city? Who do you think you are, Jonah? He knows who he is. Probably not thinking super highly of himself at that moment. No better than you, he might say. <laughs> but you're going to want to repent. <laughs> he had the experience to share this truth with them. Why would, here's a question. Why would God keep using Jonah? Why? Why not the first time Jonah disobeys and goes, I'm out of here, buy a ticket. He goes, fine, Jonah. Bob, I'll use Bob, right? I'll use Susie. Like, does he have a limited number of people he can use? I don't think so. He chooses to use Jonah for the purpose, yeah, we're going to get there, in Jonah's life. Because Jonah has problems that he's not even willing to face. But God does use Jonah anyway. Check this out. The city repents. So the second place we can find hope is in the city. Going from the story of Jonah, where Jonah repents from the pit, he has a chance. But now from the city the people repent. Verse 5, chapter 3. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Skip down to verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion, and he did not bring upon him the destruction that he had threatened. There it is again. Isn't that wild? God threatens the ship. God threatens his life. 
God threatens the city, but he is looking for people who will turn to him. And I want you to understand this. It says that every person of the 120,000 people turned from their evil ways back to God. I just ask you, can you imagine a person going to a city and saying, you must repent? Can you imagine a city in full repentance? Wait, can you imagine if all of Highland repented of our sin? Or can you imagine if all of Edwardsville repented of their sin? Can you imagine if all of St. Louis repented of their sin? Can you imagine if a country or a state repented of our sin? Because that's the story of Jonah, that in this moment of God's right judgment, the city turns to God. Can I just say for a minute, I thank God for people who are working in the city. A bunch of us suburban people are like, we don't want to mess with the city. That's a mess. Have you been down there? People get shot in the city. Life's dangerous in the city. It's expensive in the city. Chicago, you want to live in Chicago? I don't want to live in Chicago. Can we thank God for people who are working in Chicago? Can we thank God for people who are working in the cities? Because in this moment, this story is so crazy because we get hung up on like the fish, but here you got a prophet and then you got 120,000 people who are saved. Saved from destruction. No small thing. What? God did not bring about the threat he promised. He had compassion. So here it is. God saves the whole city. Is that it then? Cool. Mission accomplished. Right? We're good. We're out of here. Jonah obeyed. The city saved. Roll credits. End scene. Movie's over. Right? No. Why? Because God is after something else in the story of Jonah. Check this out. Verse, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. <laughs> Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. What? Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. It means he burned with anger. He was like a volcano ready to erupt. Look at verse 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord, O Yahweh, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to run to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. And now, O Lord, take my life, because it's better for me to die than to live. And verse 4, God says to Jonah, have you any right to be angry? What? At the end of the story, at the end of this great salvific moment, at the end of seeing a city turn to repentance, and if you don't know the story, read it. He sits out there and he watches what God's going to do, right? And people repent, and God has compassion on his people, and, and, and Jonah gets angry. You know why? Because Jonah has a forgiveness issue in his heart. He is so invested in his enemies. He is so invested in God's judgment as a prophet that he desires to see them destroyed. So much so, and we're going to take this apart a little bit, what Jonah says to God, but so much so that he says, um, let's see, where was that? Yeah. This is why I was, I'm trying to find it here. This is why I was so quick to run to Tarshish. I knew this is how it was going to come out. 
Listen, because everywhere you go, it's, it's grace and favor and salvation and hope and a chance. Every time I go to some people, it's more chances. And I can't get through my head quite the irony of Jonah having been given a second chance and a second chance and a second chance, then getting mad because someone else has a second chance. That's crazy. But what does he say about God? Because I want you to hear this. Because how can we say we believe in second chances? Listen to me. How can you and I get it in our heads and our hearts that we are a people of second chances? That we aren't called to be cynical and judgmental like the world. That we aren't to sit back and just go, well, they deserve it. They, they made their bed. They can lie in it. What does Jonah say? I knew. This is in verse 2. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Gracious and compassionate. I knew that about you before I went. Gracious and compassionate. I knew, God, that you are slow whew, to anger. And you are abounding in love. I knew it. I knew that you are a God who relents from sending calamity. You don't want people destroyed, cast from your presence. You keep inviting them back in. I knew that about you. And I think about uh, Jonah. I'm like, Jonah, what, how, what's your problem? Jonah has a heart issue of forgiveness, right? Do we? Is that our issue? Do you know that he's compassionate and loving? That he, he relents in sending calamity into people's lives? Because that's what the scriptures say. That's what Jonah knew. Jonah knew that he was a compassionate God, one who was slow. Wait, I told you a story earlier about my repenting of my impatience. Can we repent of some impatience? Can we repent of some unforgiveness? Can we repent of some hopelessness, some judgmentalism? God, this isn't hard. Why don't they change? You see it? We know he's a compassionate, loving God. He's slow to anger, and he's quick to forgive. Jonah had a hard heart toward God, and he was holding a grudge and was unwilling to forgive it, to the point that he cries out, it would be better if I hadn't been born. Because all you do is forgive people. It would be better if I hadn't been born, God. And I just think, Jonah, what a child. <sighs> How embarrassing. Oh, Jonah, terrible. And then I go, oh, God, Bill, what a child you are. How goofy. The sparing of your life because things aren't happening fast enough. Listen, God loves us. And I tell you what, you know what you don't see here? God says at the end, he says, what right do you have to be angry, Jonah? You know what the answer is? No right. <laughs> Jonah's got no right to be angry, but he is. And uh, God is not. Isn't that something? In the end, we say, angry God. No? No? God's loving. Well, why would he do this to me? Because he loves you. 
Why would I go through this? Because he loves you. Why would he make me cry out from the pit? Because he loves you. He's trying to get Jonah to be right, to get him right. You see, had not, it's funny, had nothing to do, it had a deal with obedience, but had nothing to do with all these people who were saved. In the end, he's still working on Jonah. Next week, we're going to talk about another situation that's exactly the same. We read it all backwards, exactly the same. God's after our own hearts. Check this out. In the Gospel of Matthew, um, Jesus is challenged by the teacher of the law and the Pharisees. And uh, he says this. He says in chapter 12, verse 38, some of the teachers and the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign. And he answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. That's Jesus. That's the sign you're going to get. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment day with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. But now one greater than Jonah is here. So we have Jesus himself saying, I'm going to give you one sign. Three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And it's a call to repent, to believe. You'll be given one sign, and it's the sign of Jonah. So I want to close with this. Knowing that Jesus, God's only son, who is killed on Good Friday and raised to life on Easter Sunday. We just celebrated that last week, which is hard to believe it's only been a week. Refers back to Jonah himself and says, it'll be like Jonah, three days. I want to do this. I want to close. Hear these words. My name is William Jones. I've been here at the Carol Vance unit. William already has a chance. Hear these words from Jonah chapter 2. Jonah's prayer, but I want you to hear this with Jesus saying, that'll be me. This will be your sign. In my distress, I cried out to the Lord. And he answered, do you remember? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he answered, from the depths of the grave, I cried out for help. And you listened to my cry. Listen to verse 3. God, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the sea, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. See, if you ever wondered, like, what was the experience of Easter? What was it for Jesus? He's referring back to this overwhelming, drowning experience of sin. I said, I have been forsaken from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. The engulfing waters, they threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. And to the roots of the mountain I sank, to the very earth. And it barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit. Wow, oh, that's right. That's right. But you, O oh Lord, my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Yahweh, and my prayers rose to your holy temple. And then the final words, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace, hear it, that could be theirs. 
Those who cling to the worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I will sing a song of thanksgiving and will sacrifice to you. And what I have vowed, Jesus, what I have promised, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. I hope you know that. And I hope that if there are people in your life that you know that for them, salvation comes from Christ. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for our second chances. And far be it from us to be like Jonah. And yet, Lord, I'm afraid we are. I'm afraid we have that same response. We don't believe you're going to be loving or, or good. You, we think you are, and we don't want it to be that way. We hold unforgiveness in our hearts, and I don't know, Lord, whatever else. I mean, would you do your work? Uh, I confess before you and your people today, we cannot change apart from you. Uh, there's no change of our own to be had, but you, Lord, call our life up from the pit. Change, obedience, love, forgiveness. Father, if there are things in our lives we need to repent of, I pray we'd repent of it. The evil we need to turn from, I pray we'd turn away from the evil toward you. And Father, I pray that we would be your people who would uh, acknowledge your grace and your love and your compassion, that we would even long for it for others. And Father, we, we give you thanks and praise because uh, like Jonah, we, we were rightly condemned and yet you saved us. Like Jonah, we're no better than anyone else except that we have a Savior. May we be your people, obedient to your call. May we not flee, but cling to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.